You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody. We're almost to the weekend, and more importantly, we're almost back to Houston Rockets basketball, which resumes Friday night at home, the finale of a six-game stretch all against Eastern Conference opponents with a matchup against the Philadelphia 76ers. With that, welcome in to another new episode this Thursday of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose. Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this Thursday afternoon, the Rockets are back at practice today after a well-deserved day off on Wednesday. That was coming off Tuesday's statement win at Toronto, which was Houston's sixth straight win, tying a season-long mark, and it currently puts them as the number three seed in the Western Conference based on the division tiebreaker with a record of 39-25. and That's 14 games over 500. That statistic, of course, is also their high watermark for this season in terms of distance above 500. The last two wins of this current streak, of course, were on the road out east in Boston and Toronto, and that unfortunately means that not too many people from Houston, myself included, were actually with the team. One guy who actually was with them, though, is our guest for today's show, and that's major market radio host Matt Thomas, who I consider a good friend and certainly someone that has been supportive of this program for a long time. Matt, who you know on Twitter as at SportsMT, he's the PA voice for Rockets home games at Toyota Center. He'll be there Friday against the Sixers. And for the road games, he's the radio play-by-play voice for the Rockets radio network. So he's certainly got a very unique insight and perspective on the team, since not only does he watch them every game, oftentimes from his courtside seat when he's on PA duties, but he also travels with them and gets some pretty unique off-the-court access as well. Beyond that, I think he's also always got a good pulse on what matters to the Rockets fan base since he hosts the Matt Thomas Show every weekday from noon to 3 on Sports Talk 790. Anyway, to get some of his insights on the road trip as a whole and look ahead to tomorrow night's game against the Sixers, let's get straight to the phone lines and get Matt Thomas connected right here at Lockdown Rockets. Matt, how are you, my friend? Absolutely fantastic. It's nice to be home for a few days. How's 65-degree uh, Houston compared to 10-degree Toronto? Seriously, I don't want anyone ever complaining about our weather, ever. You never have to uh, basically scoop up humidity and heat like we have in the summertime. As a former resident of Minneapolis, St. Paul, when I moved back to Houston in 2010, I would say I would never, ever complain about the weather here, and I remain true to this day. Toronto was frigid, and they were all apologizing, all the people there. Like, we're sorry the weather's so cold. I'm like, A, we're used to it coming up here, and B, don't worry about it. It's still a great city. It also helps when you win the game. And oh, I'm, for sure. I'm guessing that flight home was, while joyous, one of the more interesting things to me, Matt, you look at the Twitter reaction from the Rockets, and I know like actually on the plane flights it's different, and that's one of the unique vantage points that you have since you work with the team. But Clint Capella on Twitter after the game had a take of third quarter equals garbage can emoji. We'll take the win, though. And that's one of the unique things, but I guess it's kind of cool about this Rockets team. Of course, they're satisfied with how they're playing. They've won six in a row. That's their longest streak of the year. The wins in Boston and Toronto 
were good. But at the same time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like they're particularly over the moon about it. They hold themselves to a high standard, and so it seems like even though I guess they're satisfied with how they're playing, it seems that there's still a vibe that they still need to get better. Is that accurate? Uh, you know, I don't walk up to every player and ask him how good they feel after every victory. But right. I will say that there is a common theme of, you know, these big leads we're giving up are not fun because you have to work very hard to get them back. Uh, I case in point in the Toronto game, I, I, you know, clearly the Raptors did everything in their power. Really, Serge Ibaka did more than anything else to, to get back in the game. But you could just tell that... Uh, the Raptors had ran out of gas and that the Rockets had some kind of, you know, quick intervention after the third quarter and said, look, we had our one back quarter. We got to fix it. So if there's anything about as good as this run has been, then it's obviously, you know, there's no lead that's safe. We've seen the Celtics almost come back the 26 point lead. The Rockets had Sunday. We saw the Raptors come all the way back after they were so miserable in the first half of their game against the Rockets on, on um, Tuesday. So uh, I think there's still a quest for a, full four-quarter game, I just don't know in today's NBA if you'll ever get that. I mean, most teams, and I've talked about this on my radio show before, the amount of 20-point deficits that are overcoming the NBA, it feels like to me, Ben, and I don't know if it's more to you or not, but uh, I feel like I've every time I watch an NBA game, somebody's got a 15- or 17-point lead in the second quarter, and it's gone by about midway through the third. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the increased reliance on the three-point shot. That's especially relevant here in Houston, but really league-wide, a 20-point lead, just generally speaking, 20 points is not what it used to be, especially when you have more teams taking these threes, which in addition to more scoring, it also makes you more volatile because you're going to go through a four-minute stretch where you're hot, you're going to go through a four-minute stretch where you're really cold, and then in the Rockets' case, a team that, while we hope they're coming around defensively for the year as a whole, has been bottom five, bottom ten, that's been their bugaboo. To me, it's less about focus, and it's more just, you know, you take this many threes on offense, you're always going to be more volatile. The entire league has more volatility as a result. And then the defensive end of the floor, I guess that's the one angle that they're looking at what they can control, because as far as, you know, the offense, there's going to be variance, but I suppose the way they're looking at it is probably the healthy way is that, you know, if we can be a middle-of-the-pack defensive team instead of a bad one, then maybe we're not giving up as many buckets like, say, easy ones, that 28-4 to run last Wednesday in Charlotte. Is that a fair way to look at it? That is, and let's also, let's make it, let's, let's dumb it down a little bit then. Charlotte's a playoff team or close to a playoff team. True. Boston and Toronto are legitimate Eastern Conference contenders. So this is these types of runs that we're seeing, and you know, when the Rockets get the twenty-six point at Oklahoma City, it's not like they're doing this to say, you know, uh, Orlando. Well, actually, Orlando's a bad case because they're they're a decent basketball team. There's, I mean, it's not like Detroit and Minnesota are making these massive runs. It's what the Rockets are doing against some of the upper echelon teams. So um, while it's a little alarming, I will say you do feel better about things because the Rockets came out in the fourth quarter, especially Gerald Green in that game on Tuesday. And really, you could tell after a couple of made threes that he had made, the Nene getting in there, the fact that Jeremy Lin was god-awful you know, as he's been for most of his career, except for that great run in New York, um, you know, that there was a good confidence factor at, that saying, you know what, we gave up the 20-point lead, we had a few back-and-forth baskets, but at the end of the day, we were a better basketball team. And these are two quality wins that I think the Rockets should not apologize for under any circumstance. Not at all. And one side note related to the Toronto game, Craig mentioned it on the TV call, which because of that, I didn't hear your radio call of it. What? I know. Stunning. But you and Craig are the one-two punch. Unfortunately, they split you guys up on a lot of nights. But 
Craig's TV call he noticed out of the break, and of course the Rockets took the crowd out of the game. They were up 18 at the half, and he pointed out, of course, there were a lot of empty seats, which happens a lot of gems coming out, especially the high-dollar ones, the corporate vibe. The Raptors, even a fan base that generally regarded as one of the best in the NBA, and it is, the fans, or, or the players, that is, were trying to get the fans more involved. And it made me think, Matt, about a lot of the critiques that we hear, especially on Twitter, about the Rockets crowds at Toyota Center. And what I always say is that 80% of the crowd at Toyota Center is excellent. Do they have issues filling some of those corporate seats for 48 minutes? Yes, and of course it helped the Rockets competitively if you could fill those like you do in the playoffs in the regular season. The reality is, though, these issues in Houston, it's not a competitive disadvantage. Other fan bases around the league, and you can correct me if I'm wrong since you travel to all these gyms, but this is a pretty widespread issue. Maybe not in Utah or Oklahoma City, some small markets, but by and large, major markets, the corporate high-dollar seats, and those stand out a little bit more on TV, especially at Toyota Center. Maybe it's the lighting, maybe it's the camera angles. I don't know, but seeing a great fan base in Toronto have some of those same issues that people complain about here in Houston, it was a big reminder to me that some of these narratives, they go too far. Of course, you'd like those seats to be filled. It's something the Rockets are always working on. But I wouldn't say the Rockets, the way some do, are at a competitive disadvantage because of the fan base. Is is that a fair characterization? No, I, I mean, I look, would the players uh, like to have the building full of tip-off? Yeah, it's just not going to happen right now. Uh, hopefully come playoff time, you know, the weekend games, the, the Saturdays, the Sundays, it isn't as big of a deal. As far as halftime is concerned, and look, I, you know, when I travel around the arena and I would happen to be in Toronto on the court, so I know exactly what the, what the courtside fans are going through, you know, these, these tickets are so uh, expensive and they come with perks. Well, you know, Ben, those perks are nice. And that's going to a sweet area or a club yep. area where there's food and drink at halftime. And for people to have some chicken fingers and cheese and queso dip or whatever, and again, it's a small little finger food type thing, but they, they're they in no position to be in a hurry to do this. If it takes them 20 minutes to enjoy their gin and tonic at halftime, they're going to do it. So as much as people would say, well, where is everybody at? Well, it's not because they don't love the team. It's not because they don't love the seats. They're just taking advantage of one of the perks they have, and that's a nice little snack at halftime. So, um you know, I, I, again, you'd like for them to shut everything down and turn the lights off like it is an intermission when you go to a play or a musical. But when you're asking these people to pay crazy, ridiculous prices for the seats and the club access and the food and whatnot, the customers want to take advantage of it. There's no clock that says you have to be out there. So I'm glad somebody else pointed that out. I've never been overly offended by that. The biggest issue is for those teams is that, is that those seats are sold. And when the day those seats aren't sold yep. is when NBA teams should worry about who's not sitting down there. Because at this point, that's the revenue they absolutely will take. And I guarantee if you took a poll of every NBA owner, they're going to say, hey, our fans on our lower level aren't there until midway through the first quarter or they take extra time at halftime. Then you say, are those seats sold? Yes. Are you char- charging a heavy premium price? Yes they're not really going to care that much. Turning back to the actual basketball product, recapping Tuesday's big win over Toronto, looking ahead to Friday with Matt Thomas, Rockets PA voice at home, where he'll be back on the mic Friday night against the Sixers, road play-by-play voice on the radio, which he was for the most recent wins in Boston and Toronto. Matt, the James Harden storyline, I know you view him and most around this team as the MVP frontrunner for this year. He was MVP a year ago. That's no disrespect to Giannis or Paul George. Just remarkable what James continues to do each and every game. 
one of the things that I really enjoyed about Toronto, and I want to get your take on this, is the way he responded to adversity. Because he's had so many games this year where it's come easy for him that he's put up 58, like against Miami, where he's red hot. To see him start 6 of 23, and this is something that over his career, he hasn't always been able to bounce back in-game when something has not gone his way, be it the officiating, the shots aren't falling, whatever it may be. So to see him struggle through three quarters and then find a way to flip the switch, to me, it felt really good because it was a reminder of that he's one of those great players because that's what great players do. Even if the first three quarters are relatively pedestrian, they still have that extra gear when they need it. So as far as a season that's been filled with MVP highlights, where does Tuesday in that fourth quarter, 19, rank for you? Uh, pretty high because uh, I'll, I'll dumb it down for you. Let's go back to James Harden three or four years ago. When he's had an awful shooting night, Ben, what does he do? He usually just got the free throw line and would make his points that way. So in the fourth quarter of the game against Toronto, you know, yeah, the stat line was lousy for three quarters. The Rockets' third qu- quarter was terrible. He uh, he found an extra level, and that's what MVPs do. Just find the next level, and he was able to do that. And so, um, you know, the stat sheet isn't pretty on that, but smart NBA fans don't exclusively look at the stat sheet. They look at key moments in the game. Uh, they look at the pivotal times where you go to your go-to guy, and James Harden was hitting everything, and that little floater that has become almost automatic, it wasn't early in the game, became an automatic point. So it wasn't exclusively, hey, take the step back, contested three, hope to get foul, hope a couple of them to fall in. Everything was dropping for him in the fourth quarter, and it was fun to see. And, uh, you know, I, and again, I'm not trying to sell him more than anybody else, because Giannis is having a great season, too. Mm-hmm. There's a small part of me that says, hey, national TV games, are going to mean a little bit more because the casual NBA writer that doesn't write see every game is going to have a chance to look at James Harden through you know the microscope as compared to when there's 12 or 13 games on a particular night. So I was not only satisfied the Rockets got the win, I think they put the fear in God in some really good Western Conference teams about what this team has done on this road trip, but it also showed that James Harden can overcome a lousy first half where NBA maybe two or three years ago it was much more difficult for him to do so. And I'm guessing you roll your eyes the way I do. I'm sure you've gotten some responses on Twitter. I get them all the time of, is there too much focus on the MVP debate? Because, of course, the Rockets, their first and foremost goal is to win an NBA title this year. My response to that is that you can walk and chew gum at the same time. These are not mutually exclusive. Of course, the Rockets and the team are focused on winning a title. But if your star player, the face of the franchise, can get the league's top award for two consecutive years, how is that not a good thing for the franchise? So... I get those takes from time to time, but I tend to roll my eyes at them because, again, you can focus on both of these goals. They are not mutually exclusive. There's no way in the world any logically thinking human being would say, James, what are you focused on right now? If he said, own the MVP award, that'd be ridiculous. It's not true. Do you think James Harden has spent his entire NBA career thinking about just individual accolades? I mean, he's received a bunch of them, and he may receive another one. But there is a huge part of his resume, the bottom part, or maybe the top part, that he's tired of hearing about he does all these great things in a regular season, it's time to do something in the postseason. Is he driven to win another MVP? Hell yeah, he is. We would all be in that position. But I can tell you that they think about it, they being everybody in this organization, from the equipment manager to the general manager of the players, they want a championship. Because I think they know, in their mind, as crazy as this season has been, and as topsy-turvy as it's been, you got a certain team in the Golden State Warriors, while very, very good and very talented, 
are also at this point even perhaps even more vulnerable mm. than they were a year ago. You mentioned the Rockets' bench earlier, switching gears to some of the non-James Harden players and the success that Austin Rivers and Gerald Green had in particular. 31 points, I think 10 of 16 shooting in Toronto. That was kind of a game in Boston where they had just six points, I think two of nine shooting. The good thing about those guys, they still bring it on the defensive end regardless. Rivers in particular has been unique in his on-ball defense for this team. And offensively, they don't get scared. They don't get gun-shy. They keep shooting the one role that I want to ask you about is what Chris Paul has to do with their success. Because in Toronto, even though he shot just 1 of 10, which is by far the worst game shooting-wise of this stretch since the All-Star break, that he's been really good. He had 10 assists, he had 6 rebounds, and he's just been so good, in my opinion, especially since the break, at anchoring that bench unit. Even though historically he's more of a slow-paced point guard, he does a much better job of pushing the pace, getting them in transition, which plays to the strengths of guys like Rivers and Green. So if you could, beyond just the obvious that Chris Paul is healthy, he's playing well, how important is it that he anchors this bench unit? Of course, they're staggering the minutes, Harden and CP. But to me, it looks like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're obviously there, on, and I'm not, on the road trip, but yeah. Austin Rivers and Gerald Green, they have a lot of success, but I think a lot of it also goes back to Chris Paul putting them in the right positions to succeed and getting them the ball in the right spots on the floor. Well, I'm not going to, Ben, oversell it to you. Um, the, the, the dynamics of the game and the spacing and the time that he's off the floor and who's running the point is, is 98% of that, to be brutally honest with you. Uh, mm-hmm. But Chris is just going to have the ball in his hands more than with James off the uh, court than he is with on. So he's going to be always look to, look to uh, pass first and shoot second. And so I think there's a byproduct of that. I would just temper that a little bit in saying that you know, you got to be careful about how often you do that, mm-hmm. especially if Gerald Green's in one of those spunks where he's missing four or five in a row. Sure. Or Austin Rivers can't, you know, finish to the basket. Uh, but Chris's ability to motivate, to find the hot hand, and get the ball to those guys when those guys are hot is the reason why uh, you're describing Chris the way that he is. But I think most of this has to come down to the fact that, you know, you want Chris you want an all-world point guard running your team at all times. And with the way that they've done with the spacing and the timeouts and the usage, that to me is the most important thing. There's just going to be some different dynamics for Chris to run when James, who needs the ball in his hands much more than anybody else you just mentioned, is on the floor. But I, I do love it. Uh, it motivates you. And it also shows you that, you know what, when it's working, you get some rest time for James. And for a guy that has been either one or two in minutes paid played per game, there's nothing more gratifying than calling a basketball game or seeing a game where, you know, Gerald Green's hitting those shots. Uh, Austin Rivers is attacking the basket. Hell, for that matter, Nene goes and hits those mid-range free throw jumpers. So it's all part of the dynamic, frankly, big picture, Ben, of a team that, you know, that hopefully Mike D'Antoni can rely on a nine, perhaps even ten-man rotation come playoff time. Spending just a few more minutes here with Matt Thomas, Rockets home PA voice, road play-by-play. Also host the Matt Thomas Show on Sports Talk 790, noon to 3, Houston time, every weekday. Matt, this last segment, we'll do basically lightning round, just a few quick hitters as far as topics surrounding the team moving forward. The first question I want to throw at you is regarding the playoff seating. Right now, the Rockets are in a three-way tie for the number three spot, really the three, four, and five. Houston, OKC, Portland, all 39 and 25. Utah seems fairly well entrenched in that sixth spot right behind. 
So if you're the Rockets, at the moment, they're the three because if there's a three-team tie, it goes to the division winner, which the Rockets are. Oklahoma City and Portland are not projected to be. So realistically, you're the three at the moment, but you could easily play either any of those other three teams, OKC, Portland, and Utah. Of those three, who do you fear the most in a potential seven-game playoff series? Who do you fear the least, OKC, Portland, and Utah? I would have to probably go with fear the most Oklahoma City. Same. Steven Adams, Paul George, Russell Westbrook. I mean, that's massive star power. That's length. Uh, that's guys that can defend. Uh, you know, are we going to get crazy Russell for a part of that stretch? Well, if we are, then the Rockets will easily win that series. If it's regular Russell, uh, who will shoot a lot of three-ball shots and not make them, then I think the Rockets can win a six- or seven-game series. But, uh, again, honestly, and, and maybe it's because the glasses I'm wearing have red tint to them, uh, of that three group there, I, I'm not overly concerned. I would say least concerned probably would be a Utah team. Uh, Portland has got the way of the world on their shoulders right now because of how bad they were last year in the postseason, losing four straight to New Orleans in that series. I think they're going to be super jazzed, not to use a play on words, but to you know show the folks in the Pacific Northwest that they mm-hmm. can advance beyond the first round. Um, but yeah, of the three, clearly to me, Oklahoma City would be the biggest challenge of that group. Okay. Next, Austin Rivers, Kenneth Freed. Two guys you've picked up during the year. We can throw Daniel House Jr. in there as well. That's been instrumental in filling minutes throughout the stretch, especially December, January, and even this month as well. Hopefully, Fareed comes back from his hip bruise tomorrow night against the, the Sixers. We'll have to wait and see on that. Point is, these role players that Daryl Morey has picked up during the year, they have had an instrumental role this year in bridging the gap and mitigating the impact of all the injuries the Rockets have had. The downside, all these guys on one-year contracts, the Rockets don't have any bird rights on those guys. So long-term, it's going to be difficult to keep them. The most, I would say, financially advantageous tool the Rockets have at their disposal this summer is their mid-level exception, but that's probably only going to be enough to get one of those guys, not both. So at this point, Austin Rivers, Kenneth Free, the two role players that have done the most, is there a front-runner in your mind for which of those two is a higher priority this summer? Or is the jury still out? Wait and see what happens down the stretch and in the playoffs. I think this is just a pure guess that the Rockets would probably uh, do a, uh, a more complete job of trying to keep Farid around as compared to Rivers. Just, okay. just a guess on my part. I have no rhythm, no logic, no mm-hmm. rhyme, no reason to run any of it. But you're asking me, I'm giving you the quick answer that if those two guys were in front and they had to think about it, my guess is they would lean Farid over Rivers. Okay. Last comparison. You've got your top eight guys pretty well entrenched. Let's consider Eric Gordon a starter, although who knows? They could try Kenneth Fareed there again. But you've got your regular starters plus Fareed, Austin Rivers, Gerald Green off the bench. You feel pretty good about those eight. You might could even call it eight and a half because Nene is going to play some games depending on the matchup. So if they're healthy, and that's a big if, knock on wood, all those things, you feel pretty good about your top eight, top nine in your playoff rotation. And at some point, you're running out of rotation spots. Mike D'Antoni is not going to play 10, 11 guys in the postseason. That's just ridiculous. So we're shining in early March. Let's assume the Rockets are fortunate enough to still be playing in two months in early May. And if all those other guys are healthy, you've probably only got one more roster spot left. We know they want more defense. You've got Iman Shumpert, but you do have once the G League season ends on the 24th, Daniel House Jr. probably coming back. They could unilaterally convert him when they want. If you had to pick between Shumpert and House, who do you think is more likely to be playing minutes in the postseason at this point? Uh, Pure guess again. 
I'm going to probably go Daniel House. Okay. Uh, just because the offense is there, uh, Shepard would be a leader on the defensive side of things. But Daniel House, uh, again, very small sample size, and sometimes I'm very leery to, you know, rely on that. But mm-hmm. uh, was very effective for the Rockets. Uh, his three point shot got better. Uh, I, I think you know having veteran leadership around him will put him in the right place, right time. Uh, I just don't know mentally how he's going to be having known that the Rockets could have brought him up a couple of times and because of one thing or the other, they decided not to. So, um, and Shumper's injury might frankly be the determining factor on this. Sure. If Shump is always hurt and, you know, uh, Mike D'Antoni, if he's going to really extend that roster one more spot, is going to want one guy that he can rely on that can be more of an offensive guy. And Shumper just, I don't think is that. So oh, for Shumper and for House and Strange, they both get incomplete grades for me for de- different reasons. Mm-hmm. But the sample size I've seen of both shows me that I think Daniel House would be a, would be a, a more valuable spot on the roster if you were to really go with a rotation guy like that. Good take. Folks, he's Matt Thomas. You can follow him on Twitter, at SportsMT. You can hear him at home as the PA voice at Toyota Center, including Friday night tomorrow against the Sixers on the road, the voice of the Rockets radio network, play-by-play, and, of course, every weekday on Sports Talk 790 from noon to 3 p.m. hosting the Matt Thomas Show. Matt, thanks so much for the time, buddy. My pleasure. Anytime, Ben. Sounds great. Good stuff there from Matt Thomas. For the record, I agree with him, I think, on two of the three in our lightning round, I do agree that Oklahoma City, as far as potential first-round opponents, you could get them in a 4-5 or 3-6. They're the most intimidating because of the star power. I think Utah is the least simply because, for whatever reason, they do not match up well on the offensive end of the floor. For Utah, that is, with the Rockets. We've seen this even this year with the Rockets having a poor defense. They just don't really seem to have the playmakers to threaten the Rockets on that end. And to beat Houston, you have got to be able to score and hit them, attack the Rockets where they are weakest. I don't think that Utah can do that. Portland, with Lillard, with McCollum, with their ability to attack switches, they're a bit more daunting. I also agree with Matt on, at this point, House being a front runner over Shumpert. I think in a perfect role, Shumpert would earn that spot, but between the continued injuries, the three-point shot that's been struggling, I don't think it's a given, but Shumpert has got to show something, and ideally he's got to show it over the next three weeks before we know by March 24th the Rockets will have House back up. They can convert at any time. I'm sure there are negotiations ongoing. But at the end of the G League season, once March 24th gets here, there's no reason not to have him up. So these next two to three weeks are big for Shumpert. And step one, he's got to get on the floor. If they can't trust him for that, that's a problem. The knee situation is chronic, so I'm a little worried about that. And then once he does play, he's got to get in rhythm. He hasn't had that much time with his new team. He's shooting just mid-20s percent from three since getting to Houston that's a small sample size, but I just think we've had a longer track record of success with House this season, so I lean to uh, House on that one, but Shumpert will have an opportunity in the next two to three weeks to potentially change some minds. Last one, I will disagree with Matt a little bit. I personally think that Rivers is a slight priority over Freed. I just think that it's in large part due to their ages. I think if they were about the same age, you might lean in favor of Freed, but with Kenneth about to turn 30, Rivers still 26, and also the uniqueness of his on-ball defense. I think Fareed is a heck of a find in season. Big picture, though, I do think there are other guys that can give you at least some of the dynamics that he do as that hustle, that big athletic four. So my guess is that Rivers, especially with Chris Paul starting to age, that role off the bench is a backup you can trust and help, especially defensively, feel sort of like uh, a Swiss Army knife 
give the Rockets so many different needs. My guess is that Rivers is a slightly higher priority than Fareed, but I don't think it's commanding by any stretch. So even though I disagree with Matt, I understand where he's coming from, and it's perfectly valid if you feel that Fareed might be a higher priority than Rivers. He's had some, I would say, higher highs than Austin has. I just think there's been a a bit more steadiness from Rivers and long-term with his age. I would lean to that, but if you want to argue the opposite, I can't really disagree with you at this point. And we do have a lot more data points, the remaining 18 games of the regular season, and then, of course, what we hope is a very long postseason run to hopefully get a more complete picture of what these guys offer moving forward. Anyway, though, that's a long time down the road. In the near term, we do have basketball to get back to, including Friday night's homestand, or the home finale, I should say, of the six-game Eastern Conference swing against the Sixers. It feels like a homestand, but not quite, because I do have to go to Dallas on Sunday night. So it is a road game, but they stay in state, a very quick 30-minute plane flight. And then after Monday's game, they have a four- or five-game homestand coming up beginning Monday against the Charlotte Hornets, and Wednesday against the Golden State Warriors. So lots of games to look forward to, lots of daily game analysis to get to on this show in the days ahead. So until then, this is where we'll break it. And of course, we'll be back this weekend recapping whatever happens Friday night between the Rockets and the Philadelphia 76ers. If you want more content before our next show, as always, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. Matt Thomas, our guest on today's show, is on there at SportsMT. And you can also follow the show, Locked on Rockets, simply at Locked on Rockets. Beyond that, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked on Rockets, website LockedOnRockets.com, email address LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. All those ways you can access our prior content or you can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan community, or even you, the human being. Don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Even if you can't advertise yourself, which we do have some great introductory specials, don't hesitate to reach out. You can still help out this show financially by subscribing and leaving five-star reviews. That way you get the benefit for free of shows delivered straight to your inbox, even before I can post them on Twitter. And I get the benefit with your subscription and hopefully your five-star review of having this show look attractive to other potential advertisers so that we can keep the business model rolling here at Locked on Rockets as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. And of course, you can download, subscribe, all those things at nearly any podcast listening home of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast or music, the odds are we're on there because at the Lockdown Podcast Network, we have a great distribution, shows across the NBA, NFL, we're relaunching the MLB Network later this month. Lots of good things going on with the network as a whole. You can also, I should have mentioned with our Twitter handles earlier on Twitter and Instagram, Lockdown NBA Net. That's a great curated feed of our NBA experts, experts across the network. But if you want to help me out, then yeah, go to your podcast home of choice, subscribe, five-star reviews. You can find us because of the strength of the network. And then if you subscribe and leave those positive reviews, that's how we can keep the business model rolling as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. So with those plugs out of the way, this is where we will end it on this Thursday. As always, thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Matt Thomas for joining us. And please come back soon for more episodes right here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.